Cult Scenes K-Pop Unmuted, a podcast dedicated to in-depth discussion of K-Pop. We're your hosts, Stephen Knight, Alexis Oyen, and Tamar Herman. And on this episode, we're discussing KCON 2017, Produce 101, and its legacy, sort of focusing on the August releases. Maybe we should get the painful part out of the way. Who among us was able to attend one or more KCONs this year? Yay! I did three. She did three. She did three. Oh my gosh. I actually went to Mexico too. That's great. And that, that one was first? Yeah, that was back in April. That's where I fell in love with NCT. Oh, wow. So were there uh, obvious differences between the three or among the three? Oh, yeah. Stark, stark differences. I mean, Mexico, it was just their first. And it seemed like they didn't really have everything together. They have a lot to improve on. I wouldn't say that it was horrible. But the con did leave a lot to be desired. Unless you had like those fan engagement events because of your ticket, there wasn't really anything to do. And it was really far away from like the main city. So you couldn't really go anywhere. And New York, New York is just the weather sucks. (laughs) And where it's held, it's just like really complicated to get from point A to point B. I think LA is the one that makes the more sense because they've done it for a long while. And I don't know if they have better resources available because they have Staples and the convention center together that it just like, it makes sense. Yeah, as as a New Yorker, I'll defend myself right now because it's not in New York, actually. It's in Newark, New Jersey. Um, KCON suffers because of the tri-state area's inability to have actually decent venues of any sort. So they have it at Newark's Prudential Center, but the whole con is outside. And then they just use the arena as the concert venue. And I think that they should figure out a better way to do things in the future. Yeah, the Los Angeles one, they've moved inside now? Yes, thank God. So were you all wearing your journalist hats or your fan hats? So I definitely was wearing my journalist hats for both New York and L.A. I didn't actually even really get to see the con in L.A. And same thing with New York. I like got to walk around once or twice and sort of see things. But this was probably the heaviest year for me coverage wise. And I was on a few panels, so I really didn't get to enjoy KCON how fans are meant to. So I think Alexis has a much better grasp of what was going on at the con Alexis was also there covering as a journalist with her journalist hat on, but I think she got to have a little bit more fun than I did. Um, Yeah, I did get around the con a few times. I didn't go to as many panels as I would have liked. I think that with every year, they have more and more panels and more interesting ones. There were a lot of really interesting ones this year. It's always the same, like Fridays. There isn't a lot of people. Since there isn't a concert, many people skip it. But Saturday and Sunday is chaos especially sunday with 101 being there because then they have like these specific booths like the toyota or the innisfree and they have events where they bring the idols for like a quick second or something and everyone gets to see them so it was with 101 it's chaotic i think they have a an official picture from cake on that it's taking like from the second floor of the con and it's when 101 was going into the innisfree booth and it's just like everything around them is just like a sea of people so i think it might be interesting if you guys gave us a little idea of what it's like to interview these groups in this kind of venue you know i'm, I'm sure they've got a lot of media to do and there's a lot of groups all in one place at one time 
I guess like the way it works is pretty much everybody gets an email before the event and is told, okay, you have to meet here and then we're going to take you backstage. And then there's a wait period. You sit with all the rest of the journalists who have interviews and then you have an interview and then you're escorted out. The interviews are almost a hundred percent of the time through a translator. Even if there is an English speaking member or two in a group, they'll still have a translator for the rest of them. And usually only I've only ever had one KCON interview that didn't have a translator. And that was with Amber from FX because it was just a one on one with one person and she spoke English. So usually there's a lot of people involved in the room because you have CJ people and you have the translator and you have the management. Sometimes you'll have stylists in the room and you'll get like anywhere from like five minutes to like 15 minutes with an act, usually not much longer than that. Yeah. And everything just goes by really, really, really fast because you're essentially going in with like, you have 10 minutes to like get everything done. And most of the times they understand your question in English, but they still are going to need that Korean translation and they're going to answer it in Korean and you need to wait for the translator to translate their answer. So If you think you're going to have like a quick interview or an interview where they'll be able to expand on an issue, like that's just not going to (laughs) happen. It's KCON, so they have a lot of different events going on. They have the fan engagements, they have more interviews, they have to, to rehearse, and they also have those appearances in the booths and whatever. So it's just like you need to get it in and get it done super fast and... Sometimes if you don't get what you want, well, that's too bad. <laughs> you just have to make it work. Yeah. It's very hectic. And there's a lot of sitting around backstage waiting. And this time in New York, this wasn't the case. But in LA, we were like sitting in the hallway that all the idols had to walk through to like get their food and stuff. <laughs> so that was kind of fun. Yeah, that's a benefit, actually. Uh, yeah. It was- yeah. <laughs> I especially liked it because I personally felt cheated out of 101 not having a fan engagement so I couldn't see them up close so when I was waiting for that interview backstage and they were just like running around I was like okay this kind of makes up for it but yeah I mean you can't really talk to them or anything just maybe like a bow and say hi or something but that's pretty much it yeah I mean even the English speaking ones won't even stop and like say hi usually just I mean they're usually on their way either to get food or to practice or to sleep I hope yeah Were there any instances where management intervened in an interview or suggested something? Yeah, I mean, they'll usually ask for your questions in advance just because time's short and they want to make sure you don't waste any time and because they want to make sure you don't ask anything not approved. To say it nicely. Yeah. (laughs) Once or twice I was told that a question hadn't been approved that I hadn't been made aware of that hadn't been approved. So like often the idols are really good sports about it. And they'll answer something really roundabout. Just, okay, so right now I'm really, my favorite thing to talk about with K-pop right now is I'm very interested in how Sino-Korean relationship is affecting K-pop. And at KCON, there was both Cosmic Girls and GOT7 who have Chinese members. And Jackson from GOT7 in particular is promoting in China. So GOT7, I wasn't aware that my question that I had written for Jackson was not approved, but for Cosmic Girls, it was approved. It was pretty much the exact same question, like, how is this affecting your career right now? I've only once had an interview where I've been told, don't say that. And it was because it was an English speaking idol who cursed and they were like, please do not put in that they cursed. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Like, I mean, it's not fine. Like it humanizes them a little bit, but, but I get your, you're here for their image. What about you, Alexis? For me? Well, I only did two interviews for cake on and I didn't think I was 
asking anything too scandalous. For Card, I mean, it wasn't like I was going to bash them or anything on the article about, you know, cultural appropriation or anything. But I mean, their whole concept is like a culture and like musical sounds from other countries, from, you know, Africa diaspora and everything. So I had a few questions about, I even like tweaked them. I didn't even use cultural appropriation because that wasn't the point. It was more like, how do you navigate like multiculturalism or something? And they didn't approve it. One of my questions was something about like, your music is what makes you really popular, like on this side of the world. And they were like, yeah, like we're aware that this is why it's trendy here. And, and this is why we're popular here. And it's like, okay, then why can't you address like multiculturalism if this is not like something that's native to you but anyway i had to scrap that and for god seven since i mean i don't write for k-pop centric outlets so for god seven the angle was about him being from la because it was an la magazine and yeah mark i'm sorry and out of 11 questions that i submitted they only approved four and none of them included anything from Mark being from L.A. And I was just like, I just got like a oh, mental wow. breakdown right there and there. And I was just like looking at the questions and I was just like. And then they going into God 7, they were like, oh, this is like the tightest interview. You have like nine minutes each, blah, blah, blah. And then they give me the questions. It's like, oh, yeah, you've only been approved for. And I was like, I can't do anything with four questions. I can't do anything. So I had to be there like. Um, the entire point is that Mark is from LA, so they're like, okay, yeah, like you can ask that one. And even then, when I asked, I asked my question, Mark gave me like this entirely other thing, not really answering directly my question, but it was fine because I was actually- Your interview was great. Yeah. Like in that moment, I was really mad and I was really annoyed and I was just like, I just wanted you to tell me I'm really happy to be back in my hometown. Why are you giving me this really long answer about you not being popular? But at the end, when I look, when I was able to like look them over and see everything, I was like, okay, no, I can do something with this. There's a story here. It was actually better what he gave me than what I originally wanted. And there was also some funny backstage stuff going on in your interview. So when I went to my interview with GOT7 and I was like rummaging through my papers and, you know, like freaking out because they had only approved four questions. All of a sudden, Jackson gets up. He takes off his jacket off of his back and puts it on my lap. And I was just like, really? And then all of the guys just had faces just like, oh, my God, like this guy. There he goes again. And I mean, I obviously knew what it meant. I just like started laughing. I turned. I was just like, thank you. In hindsight, I was like, I should have just played dumb. Like, why? Why are you doing this? Like, what is this? Or something. But I, I, but, uh, I don't know. But it was cute. <laughs> so it was really. I mean, I was stupid. I was stupid. He was. He was nice. I guess. I don't know. I guess that's nice. He was nice. I was in the room watching. It was really sweet of him, and he he was like really nice about it. It was really polite. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to ask. IOI was there last year, right? Mm -hmm. And it sounds like 101 was a bigger phenomenon in 2017 than IOI was in 2016. Is that right? Like, I can't compare it with IOI, but there are some videos going around of them being escorted from like point A to point B, and it's just utter chaos. Everyone's like around them. And honestly, like even seeing them backstage, like I don't think there was a single point in time where those boys didn't look like they were just like scared, scared. 
Yeah, I was at the red carpet and the young ones, Lai Guanlin and Beijing Young. Beijing Young. They just look like, what the hell is happening with all these people? They were just, they look like little chickens being scared to death. And honestly, the KCON even sent out a notification when they were going to the Innisfree booth. Like there was like his, the KCON app, you know, like notifies you about things like this event's happening now. This one was, if people don't pretty much behave, we're going to cancel the event. We keep on saying that IOI wasn't as popular as them, but because they were a girl group and this is a guy group and KCON's audience is mostly fans who are there for guy groups. And I mean, yeah, there were a lot of girl group fans there, especially I saw a lot of people there for Girls Day in the crowd. They were really cute. There was actually a panel called like Fangirls for Girl <gasps> Groups or something. I like didn't that. know that. I wanted to. I should have attended. Oh, I'm so jealous. But anyway, yeah, 101 was produced. 101 is just so popular. and. I honestly thought it was dangerous for the members to be there from like a few instances. And the the crowd's roar at the third day show was really, really great. Like everyone really cheered them on. And I think that was great. But I think one of the members said in an interview recently that they only get asleep like once for three hours and every two days or something ridiculous. But I really like their music and I watch Produce 101. So I appreciate the members and stuff. But I think that it's a little bit scary how much Produce 101 has affected, I guess, 101 and just the industry as a whole right now. I don't know if either of you saw, I shared an article on Twitter the other day, I think it was from the Korea Jungung Daily, and it was pretty much saying that like, okay, Produce 101 happened and 101 is popular. Is this good or is it not? And I think the end result was momentarily it's good, but it's not really in the long run because it's going to affect all of K-pop boy bands for a while to come. And I think we're already seeing that because just like it feels like every other day there's another Produce 101 group or soloist or duet coming out. Yeah, let's talk about some of those because August was a big month. I mean, obviously, uh, 101 is winning most of the music show awards. And then you've got 13 or something ridiculous. Yeah, I think it's 15 the last (gasps) I saw, but it's probably gone up since (laughs) since then. And it was also a big month for season one Produce 101 related releases, too. You know, I remember when the idea of Produce 101 was first announced, it seemed so ridiculous. And if someone had told me that it was going to be so industry dominating as it is now, that just seemed so far-fetched. Even just a few months ago when we had that one episode where we were talking about the second second season was just starting, I don't think any of us really... We knew it was going to be big, but I would have never imagined that it would like take over because 101 is like taking over the industry the fandom everything it's just like i don't want to say ridiculous but it's insane well let's start out with the season two related releases and i guess 101 is the obvious one they've got energetic was their lead single and then recently they released a video for wannabe and they also released burn it up burn it up yeah and they're doing great on the charts they're doing great on the music shows what did you guys think about the mini album I enjoyed the mini album. I I really liked the series, like the Never Open Up, those ones from Produce 101 kind of a little bit more than I did the album. But I, I do like Energetic a lot. I know a lot of people are either Energetic or Burn It Up fans, and I'm definitely more of an Energetic kind of girl. I 
I was really, really, really impressed by their performance, particularly energetic because that formation at the beginning of the song where they just become a human piano. I think it's one of the best dance moves I've ever seen in K-pop. And I've seen a lot of K-pop concerts and I just was really, really impressed by that. And they kept on doing those sort of formations throughout the show. So I think that they're really playing up their size by doing these really over the top formations during their dance choreography. And I really appreciate that. And I think their album, the EP was very, not all over the place, but they were trying out different sounds for the group. For me, their strength is performance, which is not surprising considering where they came from. So the stages and even the vocal performances on the album are pretty impressive. I actually really appreciated the duality of the EP because it is such a big group and the members are all really different. So I think that by offering this youthful, energetic single and then this harder burning up, I think that it's kind of like they're pleasing everyone and they're letting all of the members show their strengths. Because some members, they come off better with the energetic concept and some of them like excel with Burn It Up. So I really liked it, especially because when I saw the concept for energetic, it was because I am a Daniel stan, I was just like, Ugh, okay, it'll be cute, but like, uh, so Burn It Up was like, okay, I'll live, I'm okay. Outside of 101, what do you think the effect has been on the people who didn't make the cut? It seems like New East W has probably benefited more than anyone. I'm like so proud of New East. I'm so happy for them. At Colstein, we've regularly applauded their last few albums in the in the year end lists. And like we're I think all of us kind of were just cheering for them to get that moment. And it happened in kind of a horrible way. I'm so sad for them that they're now stuck in this weird place where I'm kind of concerned for them not being as adventurous as they could be because they don't have Minion for this while now that they literally lost a member to 101. But at the same time, I think I just saw today that fans asked during a V Live, can you guys release a DVD of your last fan meet? And the members were just shocked. Like, we have enough fans that you guys want to actually buy objects of ours? What was it? They said somewhere that like their last fan meet, they couldn't even get a hundred people to come to. And now they're selling out like multi-thousand venues. Just good for you. Like That's crazy. I didn't think that their New East W track, what was it? If you was as necessarily as good as their other ballads, but it was, it was nice. Well, my favorite out of the people who didn't make it was Sewoon. Yes. His recent release. Oh yeah. He's with Starship, apparently, and I, I may never have seen this, except tomorrow I saw your write-up on Cult Scene, and I have to tell you the truth, if the video hadn't been right there for me to click on, probably, you know, guitar-led R&B would not have... <laughs> Grabbed your attention. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was expecting maybe, like, Sam Kim kind of thing, but that song was, I mean, it has really 
intricate, interesting guitar. It's not yeah. just strumming chords, you know, so that you have this operatic R&B or something. And it was a very, really up-tempo song, a, a fun groove to it. And the whole, I went and listened to the album and it was it's a good album. It's great stuff. I was really kind of like when I was writing it, I was like, I know this sounds boring, but I can't come up with any other way to describe this because his whole thing was guitar, guitar, guitar. And like, I thought he was going to come out with this like very acoustic sounding album. I kind of thought he was going to pull a Kang Sing Yoon from Winner, like his solo stuff. And then he didn't, and I love it. Well, my favorites, I mean, I have two, but I know one is cheating because one is uh, Boa's Camo, <laughs> which, I mean, it was released during producing. She was part of it, so I'm counting it in. But as far as the um, contestants, I obviously have to go with Samuel because he was my number one. So um, when he, yeah, so when he first announced that he was going to go solo, I was really apprehensive about it because, um, I mean, I really like him and I think he's talented. And I think that within a group, he's really good as a part of a group. But I wasn't really sure how he'd fend for himself because, I mean, let's be real. He's not the top vocalist out here. So I was like, eh, like, how is this going to sound? So when 16 dropped, yeah, it's really auto-tuned. But I mean, it is Bray Brothers after all. So for me, like 16 is probably like 16 and the new teen top. I think that those two songs like saved K-pop this year because like K-pop doesn't sound like K-pop anymore. And I think that when that, you listen to 16, you're just like, OK, yeah, like that's K-pop. And it also has like this really young Justin Bieber thing going on, you know, like the baby days and that kind of stuff. So I loved it. Um, it's so vibrant. It just makes you feel good. And you're just like, sweet 16, even though I'm like 11 years over that. But, like yeah. his sister made fun of her the other day because of Samuel. Oh, yeah, I was listening to it and my sister was like, you like a 16 year old? And I was like, that's beside the point. OK, you don't you're get supporting it. supporting him. I'm so overwhelmed by it. Like, I can't keep track of how many of these groups have now debuted and how many of them are permanent groups and how many of them, like, brand new music is going to debut two of the produced guys as a project unit. But, like, who else? It's Daniel and somebody else in, in 101 are from brand new. No, uh, it's Daewi and Woojin. Daniel is from MMO. Oh, sorry, sorry, Daniel is from another one. Um, Yeah, it's Daewi and Woojin. And so are they just like going to have these two as like, I, I sent it to Alexis. I was like, it's kind of like how JYP debuted JJ Project before GOT7. <laughs> like they're going to just like wait for the rest of the group to be ready or something. And I think it's kind of fascinating to see how this is going to affect things. Like are these groups going to succeed once the hype for 101 dies down? If it'll die down. And part of me is just like screaming. Why don't you just make this group a permanent group if it's so popular from day one? But I think because it's not a permanent group that it's popular. 
Well, if you want to look into the future a little bit, you know, you can look at the season one groups, which were, you know, if you think you're overwhelmed by the season two groups, I think in August, Priston, Daya, Wiki Mickey debuted. Gugudan had a subunit single, and uh, Chunga, of course, released something. And then I tried to go through and look at all the people who ended up at other groups, and there's just no way to even touch on them. I mean, there's so many groups that have added a member from Produce 101, hoping that will boost them a little bit, or who have started a new group. There's almost no way to separate the effect of Produce 101 on these groups' popularity, because almost every group has some connection with Produce 101, so there's not a control group that you can compare them to. It does seem like nowadays, if you don't have a Produce 101 member, you're not really a K-pop. Yeah, and I think a lot of people thought, especially before the second season, that this was a detriment, you know, that a lot of these girl groups debuted and they weren't super popular or, you know, even groups that had already debuted like Daya. And people were saying, well, you know, the fans know one or two members, but they don't know the other members and they aren't as interested I'm not sure I follow the logic in that. It seems like having a few popular members is better than having all members that nobody knows. But so what did you all think of the girl group Produce 101s in August? Do you have a favorite? I don't know if it's a favorite, but I wasn't super, super impressed by Wiki Mickey. <laughs> I liked it. Um, I liked it. <laughs> I, 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 I See, it's again, it's Alexis and I have very different taste. That's um, a very divisive song. I mean, I think we've been seeing so much of this they're doing this kind of random electropop, like Pristine's doing it, they're doing it, who else is doing it? I guess on my girl a little bit. And I think it's fun, but I think theirs was the least successful one to me. I mean, other than the tragic concept of like, I don't like your girlfriend, like I think- <laughs> Oh, so horrible. It's fun. And then, you know what? Like, I'm sorry, my bar is just like really, really low these days for girl groups. So- if you manage to have like a good choreography and it's not like this uberly cute concept because they kind of have like the cute girl crush thing going on. So it's like, eh, OK, I'll let it slide. I like it. I think my favorite member from IOI was Doyoung because she's really she's funny and she's really cute, too. And also that other girl, I forgot her name. So I really like those two members. So I was looking forward to Wiki Mickey. So, OK, I'm on board. Somebody criticized it as it goes intra, well, bridge, 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 court now, bridge, bridge. Because I agree with that. Such a mashup. I definitely see that, but I kind of liked it. I think it worked. And there were certain parts, you know, I guess anytime you have a great amount of variety, you can have some parts you like more than others. I really liked that where they dropped everything out and it was very quiet, that bridgey part. You know, it's a very K-pop kind of thing to do, and sometimes it doesn't work, and it just sounds like a mess. But to me, it all—it felt like the song hung together. I thought it was fun. For me, it felt like maybe I'll like it more if I listen to it more. But for me, it felt like a really bad brand knockoff of "I Got a Boy." Um, <laughs> yeah. And also, the every time anybody says the title, I just think of Avril Lavigne, and I, just, <laughs> I know. Yeah, I'm so mad that I think of Avril Lavigne because that song is so annoying. Yeah. I mean, it does have its weird parts, but 
I mean, like I said, my bar for girl groups, I'm sorry, but it's just like... It just keeps on dropping. Yeah. Like, I really... Like, it took me a while to like Pristine's Wee But now I really, really like it. And this... What is it called? The new one? We like it or something? It's just like... Yeah, we like it. I was like, oh, come on. Please. Why? (laughs) I definitely like Wee more. But um, we like kind of feels like something that like a cheerleading team would put on. Yeah. And I think maybe it would fit Oh My Girl's latest cheerleading concept a little bit more than Pristine. I don't really get what Pristine is going for. I really love the chorus in We Like. I think We Woo is a better song probably. But, you know, it's got the same simple, catchy, nonverbal aspect to it. Very repetitive. But behind the, you know, We Like do-do-do-do-do-do is this counter melody that the group is singing kind of quietly behind. I think that really adds a lot to it, makes it really interesting. So you have the really fun part, but there's a little depth to it and something else to listen to. is the group to watch among the Produce 101 groups. I think that they're the ones who, for me, have the most potential, I guess. Wacky Mickey, I guess. Honestly, I don't think I've ever listened to a Goo Goo Dawn song, and if I have, I don't remember it. And Shunga, I really like her, and I love what she stands for, but her song, it's not on my playlist. I did like it, but it took me a lot of listens to like, and I think that's kind of how it is nowadays with most of the girl group music that's coming out. And I, part of me doesn't really appreciate that. Like, I want to be able to just hear a song and be like, oh, this is amazing, rather than I think this is going to be a song that will grow on me, which I think is the trend, especially from these so-called produced groups. Well, if you want to get a little insight into what the companies think about the Produce 101 phenomenon, I think it's interesting that Daya just recently announced you know, Daya had Cheon and she was Kathy during Produce 101, but Hyeon in season one. And they just announced that two other members are joining another show, The Unit, you know, that's supposed to be for... Yeah, flops. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to just say it. And they're awfully young to be flops, I mean. But it indicates to me that MBK thinks that there's a lot of value in these shows. I agree with you, but also part of me is just like... I thought the unit would be a little bit older. Like, I know Boyfriend is appearing on the show, and I think that makes sense. But I also thought it was groups that had disbanded who were going to be on it, like failed idols entirely. And so far, they've introduced Brave Girls, Boys Republic, Big Star, Boyfriend, XTR, remember Aram, and Dalshabet Subin, who, like, should be on the show. She should be everywhere. I love her. I love Dalshabet a lot. The fact that someone like you didn't get any attention last year is like the biggest failure of 2016. But I just, I don't really get what this show is going for. I think that the companies are using this for groups that are on the verge of breaking apart and saying, okay, we're going to pull a new East. What confuses me about the unit is kind of like with Produce, you had that one group that you felt sorry for. It was New East, right? You felt sorry for them because like they've been acting for six years, blah, blah, blah. They haven't had like hit success. And now with the unit, it's like everyone is a PD case. Like you're going to feel sorry for all of them. Yeah, it's still, I'm concerned about that show. 
I'll probably watch it, though. Oh, I'll okay. definitely watch it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot to talk about in August, so I think we're going to try to do unmuted K-pop quick picks to wind the show up. Alexis, do you want to start? My pick is Henry that one. I think it's interesting what's happening with him right now, because even with his really, really tragic former song, I don't know if like the sub label or, or him, but they're trying to like rebrand him. And I think that right now, a lot of artists are trying to do the Dean thing, like the Dean R&B thing. And I think Henry wants to go there. And I'm a Suju fan. I'm a Henry fan. So I'm supporting him with a cautious eye, of course. But I like that one. I really did like it. I think I read somewhere that Cha-Cha Malone produced it. So if it's true, then I see why I like it. I'm just looking for What was the other song? Uh, the one we don't talk about. The problematic about. one. Yeah, the problematic <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm good. It was I'm good. Even without the music video, like, it was an okay song. It wasn't the worst song, but it wasn't a good song. And then you add the music video, and it was just a mess. But this time around, I think that he did a better job. So I'm, like, warming up to him again. I'm, like, giving him a chance. I'm also a Super Junior fan, and I think... Henry's kind of always been like the little lost hen of Suju, Suju M. Because Jomi has a very distinct sound and a very distinct style, and he has his career in China, but Henry doesn't have that. And Henry's constantly, I think, trying to figure out where he falls in K-pop. I didn't really love that one as much as I think Alexis did, but I also really didn't like I'm Good. I, I like Trap and Fantastic, but I see why he doesn't want to be doing that stuff anymore, because it's not so great. He served as the demo vocalist for EXO's The War, and it was really good. I don't know if either of you saw the video for that, but he... Yeah, they should have given that song to him. They should do an SM station with him releasing it in English. That's what I think they should do. I think that was the perfect song for Henry, which is so crazy because you have this eight vocalists or nine. I don't know if Lay was on it. I don't think he was. You have like this multi-vocalist track that he just killed, and he gave it such a different vibe but it was still the same song. And I really think that that was the perfect type of sound for him. So I think hopefully I'm hoping that his next thing is more similar to the war. All right, Tamar, what do you have for us in this episode? I have Sunmi's Gashina. If you haven't listened to it or seen the performances of it, just go listen. Like it's just such a good performance song. She's just so charismatic. I've always loved Sunmi's solos, uh, Sunmi from uh, formerly from Wonder Girls. And I really, I like this song. Because I like the song, but also because I think it's like a low-key feminist anthem of the year from K-pop. Because the whole thing about it is is pretty much Sunmi reclaiming the bitch title. Gashinas is slang for bitch or like lady in Korean, but usually bitch. Sorry if this is a rated R. I don't know what rating this podcast has. So Sunmi the whole time is pretty much questioning while she's performing, while she's singing in this track. Why are you abandoning me? Is it because I'm a bitch? But this is a really really cool thing and the line in the chorus where she uses the song's title is which in korean has three different meanings 
And it can mean when you're being really, really polite, why are you leaving a beautiful girl like me, sir? Or when you're being a little bit more informal, why are you plucking a beautiful thing like me? Like, why are you harassing me? And then the third one is really rude is why are you leaving me? I'm the girl or I'm the bitch, aren't I? So it never changes in the song, but the lyrics have so many different meanings that wherever you are while you're listening to the song and like your state of mind affects the song lyrics and you kind of get how these different messages of how this woman who's narrating the song is affected by this man's actions. And I just love it. I just think things like that are so cool. And I think, I mean, I liked the song even before I knew about that, but I had known the meaning of Gashina had multiple meanings. So it's like, oh, that's pretty cool. That's like a cool title. And then it just got better and better and better. And I really think Sunmi thrives on this sort of like artsiness. Her other songs were also very performance heavy. And I think that she's just a really good, I'm not going to call her like an artist because it's K-pop and I don't necessarily think most K-pop stars are like that, but I think she's very artistic in her performances and in her song choices. And I really, really just like, there's so much about this song that I love. Plus, it was produced by Teddy, right? From YG. Yeah. That was interesting. And she's under, she's under a new label. Um, I forget whose label she's under. I think it's the same one as Urban Jacaba. But the fact that she worked with Teddy, who does all the YG stuff, like, I think people in the industry see a lot of potential from her. And everyone's kind of like hedging their bets on her being the Wonder Girls member who has the longest lasting career. And I'm okay with that. Although I really do like Yeon's voice better than Sunmi's. Well, it's funny. I saw a fun clip after a music show of Sunmi and Hyuna sort of uh, joking with each other over on the side. And my pick for this episode is Hyuna's Bebe. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah, that is a really cool song. You know, Hyuna's more recent clubby, twerky kind of bangers have grown on me and I, I like them all right. But I think this is one of her better songs in a while. And I like her going to a more fun, still a dance song, but, you know, a little more fun song. An interesting thing about it is that on the surface, it is a very light song, but it sort of has this deeper meaning to it that's a little bit darker and that this is referenced in the video. On the surface, it's this boyfriend makes her feel young, right? Because she's the ancient age of, what, 25 international? 26 in the song. And she says, you know, you make me feel 25, 24, 21. And then she starts getting to 17 and younger. It's like, wow, that's, that's getting a little <laughs> weird. You know, and then the song ends up, I'm your baby, baby. And in the video, she sort of, there's this moment where she's had it with everybody. She walks off the set. And, you know, I think there's this implication that her being put into this box of being super young and cute and so on, which is an odd message for Hyuna because it seems like they sort of pushed her in the opposite direction. Yeah. Uh, but within, it makes sense within the song. I'm not sure if it makes sense as a Hyuna-specific commentary because my impression of Hyuna has always been that she really is kind of this silly, fun, light, has this kind of cute personality, and that Cube pushed her to this more adult, sexualized image. But however this maps onto Hyuna's career, the song itself has an interesting subtext to it. It's got a great chorus. One of the best things about the song is it's on trend in a couple of ways, but very subtly. It has the tropical influence 
with this steel drum xylophony sounding synths, but it's very, it's with a light touch, you know, you wouldn't call it a tropical house song. And it's also got a little bit of Middle Eastern sound in it, but not just a cliched Middle Eastern melody like you hear in a lot of songs, which I, I mean, I enjoy a lot. I'm not criticizing that, but it's just sort of lightly referenced. It's a pretty sophisticated song and fun too at the same time. I really liked how the first time I heard it and I watched the video, like it immediately reminded me of bubble pop. And I yeah. was just like, wow, like I didn't know that I liked that Hyuna. I'm really on board with her red and everything because I think she's like really cool on it. And I like how she evolved her rapping style throughout her last two albums. But when I saw with this new song, I was like, oh, wow, like that's a cool way of bringing like her old concept into right now with the music trends and her current concept and whatever so i thought it was a cute but also cool song Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Cult Scenes K-Pop Unmuted. If you guys want to support us, go follow Cult Scene and K-Pop Unmuted. We have two separate accounts on Twitter or follow us on Facebook and, you know, like tweet at us, leave us comments, tell us what you think about the episode. You can also leave a comment on SoundCloud. Make sure to go listen wherever you go listen to podcasts. If you feel like leaving some reviews for us on iTunes, SoundCloud, etc., that'd be great. And if you also want, you can follow us on our personal social media. So Stephen, where can people find you? I am at Tennessee Appeal. And what about you, Alexis? I'm at Ho underscore Doyen. It's H-O-E-D-O-Y-A-N. Those are both on Twitter. And you can also find me at Tamar Writes, also on Twitter. So if you guys want to hit us up about any of the topics we touched upon, just, you know, add us. And again, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Cult Scenes K-Pop Unmuted. See you next time. <laughs>